0: In the third episode of the Deming Lens, recent blog posts and upcoming activities of the Deming Institute are discussed. Also addressed is the listener question, how do I get my organization to adopt the Deming philosophy if I'm not the CEO? Hi, I'm Tripp Babbitt with the Deming Institute podcast. I'm here with... My partner in crime, Bill Bellows, and we are both in the frozen tundras of Indiana and New York. Welcome, Bill.
1: Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Trippin. Uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, Happy New Year to everybody. Hold on. Let me get a hot cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah,
0: please. Welcome. Glad to be with you. Minus eight, whatever. So, this is our third edition of the Deming <laughs> Lens. And we're changing format just a little bit because we get on a subject. Uh, Bill and I have made these more recordings of our conversations. And we want to cover off a little bit more on the blogs and some of the things that have been written that people have taken the time to write uh, on the blog or anything new that's happening on the website or with the Institute. So starting with the blog, we'll just Spend maybe a couple minutes and go through the latest ones that are out there. Starting with this one, I guess, was just released on January 1st. It kind of gives some, not I guess, not unsurprising, Bill, data on what videos are being watched through the Deming Institute website. And uh, W. Edwards Deming's 14 points. 46,000 views in 2017. Again, you can go to the blog on January 1st. It's called Most Popular Videos on Our YouTube Channel in 2017. They're both on the website and on YouTube. You can watch them either either spot. Comments about the 14 points having 46,000 views in 2017,
1: Bill. Yeah, well, one um, well, is it's not a surprise that the 14 points is our most popular video. And I don't know what the data was. But it says here added three years ago. So we've got 106,000 views, 46,000 views, 2017. This is consistent with us knowing that our most frequently visited website is our 14 points website. So, on and, and the one hand, we you know we wonder, gosh, with the with the appreciation of Dr. Deming's book, The New Economics. You know, nowadays we talk heavily about the system of profound knowledge, and not as much about the 14 points. But yet, the fourteen points is is definitely part of our legacy, and our theory is that people are hearing about Dr. Deming in the most likely in the context of the fourteen points, and that could be you know a college class they 're taking, and they're going to the website and watching those videos and so our theory is that they Deming is being explained to them through the lens of the fourteen points and not through the lens. Of the system of profound knowledge, and that's what's driving those views and then second on the list is you know the n b c white paper if Japan can, why can't we and we see that high up, but that's we also think that's pretty high because it's prominently featured on our website and uh yeah it's pretty you know famous content
0: yeah, we just had it, and the institute just got uh, access to if Japan can, why can't we a couple years ago for some of its popularity, at least in that first year. It makes sense. But you can see the whole list here in, in the blog post if you're interested in the data and what people are looking at, the YouTube channel. And then there's the next blog post, which is transformation of the individual and the organization. Now, John Hunter posted this, and, and John's uh, worked with the, the blog for some time. Uh, I spent some time actually this morning listening to... David Langford in 2012 at the Iowa State University the conference that the Deming Institute put on there it was it, it's worthy of a listen it's an hour and a half which makes it a little bit on the long side but i thought david did an excellent job of explaining the issues associated with having grades in school and the the kind of the thinking that goes on behind it and the way that he counteracted it using you know dr deming's help and his philosophy in order to build something different in the school system about not only how you evaluate students but how you evaluate teachers and what you get out of it. And, and probably one of the most important things I got out of it it was about 39 and 39 minutes into it or so. He he was talking about he he was working with David Langford, was you working with the university and they were trying to do something in their engineering school about their 40% failure rate with students. And, and I think the whole discussion there is worthy of people listening to about his conversation with, with the university and, and and his suggestions but the whole the whole video there is is really is a is a good listen um, in my opinion anything you want to add there bill or
1: this is the first time i had a chance to see the video i was at the conference in 2012 briefly and i've seen david speak on many occasions and um i would say of all the presentations i've seen him give this floored me I, uh, i i want to go watch it again um even at 90 minutes i was floored from the beginning what he accomplished his stamina and, and still staying the course on a on an incredible cause but when he started, starts off the video by asking for a couple student volunteers to come down on stage and you know they jumped at it and and he puts a plate in both in front of both of them go and he takes this paper cup and he pours the content half the contents on one plate half the contents on the other and he gives them gives one a plastic fork and he gives the other one a napkin. And he says, "Okay, I want you to uh, eat the contents, and and the contents is is dirt." <laughs> it, and and I immediately was struck with what an incredible metaphor for the food being given to students, you know, unappetizing. And then he says to them, um, "You know, I can give you some water to drink it with. You, I can incentivize you to, to eat this, and the whole." I I was I was just dumbstruck by, by that and and the implications of of education systems feeding students what appears to them to be dirt as opposed to you know making it relevant and our daughter has just completed her uh, master's degree in education and she's done a lot of student teaching she has spent an enormous amount of time learning about the culture of her students and learning the language of her students in their language with each other the language she can use with them and and being overly conscious of the context which is where david's coming from and anyway i i was just really taken by someone who knows what the system is like and is also knows what the system is capable of in terms of tra- transforming it anyway it was just an i think it, it's an incredible presentation
0: okay so the next two posts are, were written by you, Bill, one called Le- Learning to Discern Quality and Quantity. And you have say a few words about uh, these two posts, the other one being Profits, Pragmatism, and the Possibility of Possessing Other Eyes, about kind of your aim in writing these and, and uh, what, what point you were trying to make on, on these blog posts. The
1: first one, the most recent one, learning to discern quality and quantity, and that's been a a favorite favorite topic. And it's I think it I think it goes a long way to differentiate Dr. Deming's work from other from I would say from 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 the traditional TQM focuses and and how people heard Dr. Deming's work. And it's just you know quantity is you know gets into counting. And in a quantity-based system, how many parking spots are in the parking lot? How many apples are there in inventory? How many you know, bearing packages for the spatial limit engine do we have in inventory? And, and the whole idea of counting ignores variation between the things counting. So we can count the number of doctors, count the number of parking spots, and counting is about quantity, whereas Quality, at least in terms of Dr. Deming's definition of quality, a product or service possesses quality if it helps someone and enjoys a sustainable, a good and sustainable market, quality is about how well things come together. That's the product or service possesses quality that helps somebody. I look at Dr. Deming's work is uniquely helping us differentiate, you know, counting how many doctors do we have on staff from from quality, which is how well are they serving their clients? How well can they work with their you know, work with others, work with nurses? And and so that's a it's a subtle difference, and yet I think a very significant difference. And um and then I closed the article by comparing uh, the total quality control system, you know, initiated in the early 50s, and most likely with under the guidance of, of uh, Shiro Toyota, who is I think about 90 years old now, still alive, former chairman of Toyota. And he was flabbergasted in the early 50s. This is according to the account I referenced in the book Against All Odds, the story, story of the Toyota Motor Production, to, Toyota Motor Corporation and the family that created it, which is a brilliant read. And his frustration was that Toyota 19, in the early 1950s had done amazingly well in reducing costs, getting the inventories down, getting the spacing down between, you know, assembly operations. But his frustration was that they could not repair the cars as fast as they could ship them. And the account in the book was they were going out the door and, and they were out there, you know, doing repair work. No sooner were the cars in the hands of consumers that they were, you know, that need for repairs, And so what that, you know, struck me is that they got the quantity down in terms of having the right number of parts to go into each car, but they hadn't yet figured out and and what would have come from his guidance as guided by Dr. Deming is, but how well do the parts work together? And so, um, again, I see that as a contrast between counting, which is how many in a quantity issue and quality being how well do these parts come together and the uh, you know 40 years later in 2004, Shigeo Toyota was honored with the Deming Medal from the American Society for Quality. Upon receiving the medal, he in turn honored his mentor with remarks that included, you know, Dr. Deming came over to teach industrial leaders some in statistical quality control, as well as to impart the significance of quality control in management and management in his overall management philosophy. And the the other thing I I mentioned that we didn't find earlier, and it's not in this article, is um, a very significant piece of data, I believe, in terms of how Toyota operates. As I look at the results of the Toyota production system, either from being a Toyota owner and how well that they, they perform, how long they last, but I once had the incredible opportunity for sit to sit next to a young Toyota engineer for 14 hours flying from Nagoya, Japan, to Los Angeles, and we're sitting in business class, um, which which made it, you know, the, the noise and the accommodations were nice. And um, and I compared my evolving theory of, of these ideas of how Toyota manages quantity and quality, and 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 everything I suggested, everything I theorized, everything I explained to him that well, I would expect within Toyota, a system which is which does the following. Everything I threw out, he said, yes, they do. And yet the majority of what I presented to him, I've not found in the open literature about Toyota. Meaning I've not come across a handbook of how Toyota's manages suppliers in terms of quantity versus quality. And yet what I got out of him in those better part of those 14 hours fit my understanding of Dr. Deming's work through the lens of profound knowledge. And so it's with that lens that I um, I wrote this article, and it's with that lens that I think Toyota is doing some really remarkable work in differentiating, and understanding the difference between quality and quantity. So I just throw that out.
0: Okay. And what about this? uh, The article on uh, and what about profits, pragmatism, and possibilities of possessing other eyes? Here, here what I'm getting at is, and. and spend a lot of
1: time dwelling on this. Okay, so organizations are in business to make a profit. Okay, is that is, is, is Dr. Deming's work anti-profit? No, but what Dr. Deming's proposing is that profits come from how well we work together, how well we manage resources, our ability to prevent problems, our ability to see things as a system, leads to profits. And the, the pragmatism piece is, I've seen people in non-Deming environments Argue that pragmatism would cause them not to work on things that are good. And so I was speaking at a conference in England, and and I talked about yeah a uh, uh, standard question I like time we spend in organizations working on things that are good, that arrive on time, things that are going well, and and typically the answer is no. And and so this one attendee who turned out to be a fellow presenter, came up to me afterwards and asked me if it was pragmatic. Is it realistic to work on things that are good? And I thought, holy cow. And, and I, and I know, you know from working within organizations, it doesn't appear to be pragmatic, practical, a proper use of resources to work on things that are good, which is why we don't work on th- things that are good. And, and as a result of not working on things that are good, we end up with, we end up with problems. And I thought, well, with a Dr. Deming's lens, the lens of seeing the world for the system of profound knowledge, then I could see the variation in things that are good. And and by understanding that, I can prevent bad from happening, which I think is extremely pragmatic. And so what I started to see is that if I have a Deming lens, then my pragmatism encourages me to see things as a system and with greater context and to work on the variation of the things that are good to prevent bad, and also use it as an opportunity to wonder, where are there opportunities to manage interactions and not actions But if I don't have that lens, then my pragmatism gets me into the mode of saying, I'm only going to work on things that are bad, not good, and it's impractical to work on things that are bad. And so what I see is that in both situations I'm being pragmatic, but I'm you know, being extremely cost-conscious, profit-focused, but from with two different lenses. And the aha that came to me is that, the people who lack the de- an understanding of academics work are right in saying they're being pragmatic, but it 's pragmatism that fits where they are yeah. and so when I would start you know to hear where they 're coming from, I thought, yeah, if I saw the world that way, then I would do exactly what you 're doing and I thought, well, the issue is not that we 're being pragmatic we're both being pragmatic. The difference is that i 'm seeing the world through a Deming lens and you're not, you know, not implying that I'm smarter than you, but it just changes my vantage point. And so then I start to realize that, you know, what focusing on profit or pragmatism, it comes from, you know, that's where I you know, put the rest of the article is the possibility of possessing other eyes. And so with a different set of eyes, such as what you and I have, and we, you know, we can contemplate different realities with those other eyes.
0: And then the last post that was out there is applying quality as a business strategy at Hallmark Building Supplies. Now, I found this one fascinating from a personal standpoint because I worked for an industrial distributor. And in the early days of – and I would say this is probably back in mid-late 80s – Texas A&M University, which is where Hallmark originally, when I was listening to this – yes. Uh, speech had an industrial distribution quality seminar they set up. And we'd actually – the the industrial distributor I worked for was a company called and Industrial Products. It was purchased by W.W. W. Granger. But I went to the seminar down at yep. College Station, Texas uh, with Don Rice was the guy. Now, the Stephen Pierce, I didn't know who that was. But Don Rice at the time was the professor or the person that was kind of the – force behind uh this industrial distribution school and people would go down there for uh classes and stuff but when the quality movement started really getting momentum there in the 80s uh they set something up I, I go back to those materials every once in a while so certain things that they were Absolutely correct about, and there were other things that we were absolutely off the off the rails on. But, uh, but in the early days, you expect some of that to happen. But anyway, uh, this uh, journey they they followed a lot of the things I remember going through. You know, setting up a quality committee and the leadership group and and doing different things. These were all things that uh, Texas AM uh taught you to do. Um, but I thought it was a it was a good it's a good story. Uh, industrial distribution they've continued to expand. It looks like Louis Painter tells a story for Hallmark uh, in this video. But this again was from 2012 at Iowa State University at the the Deming Conference. No,
1: yeah, I, I thought it was brilliant. It was, it was just another you know another great example of the potential of organizations. Um, quite a journey they're on. It'd be exciting to see where they are today. Um, but, in the time frame of this presentation, you know they were doubling you know their their sales um, um, you know expanding their expanding their operations going from you know one city and state to four five and six in you know in a fairly short period of time so what what you get out of this video is they 've you know they are exceptionally process focused mm. um, and developing an understanding of dr, system, dr. Deming's system of profound knowledge, because so what you hear throughout the video is the system of profound knowledge, which you don 't hear in the video maybe at all is a reference to the fourteen points, and so this strikes me as a fairly mature um, implementation you know transformation if you will of of uh, of, of dr. Deming 's theory of management, so it 's a yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I thought John, you know, John did a you know, really, really nice job of uh, you know bringing this to our attention.
0: Anything else, Bill, as far as the institute, as far as additions to the website, or anything that you want to make note of? Why we have the opportunity, as far as uh, new additions, any new videos that are out there, or anything?
1: No, other than to say that what you can expect throughout the year are um, one, you are once a week podcast. And, you know, we're lining up uh, an exciting series of interviews for our 25th year, you know, 25th anniversary year. We're, you know, likewise looking to put out um, one or two blogs a week, including um, regular contributors, contributions from John Hunter and uh, and Laurie Fry. And we have others who are, you know, contributing or gearing up for, you know, um, Twitter feeds coming out um once, twice, three times a day, which you know, with a broad range of our content, whether it's um refreshers you know pointing to our um YouTube channel our blogs or our blogs or um or even our um you know pictures and whatnot. And then we've got an exciting lineup of you know seminars and and we've uh, we're getting close to announcing our conference location and dates. So this is an exciting year for us. And right. it's only January second. Cool.
0: So let's get to our question that, the, that was posed to us that we were going to cover off this uh, time in the Deming lens, which was how do you get started in learning the Deming philosophy? Then the, the, the follow-on question was, okay, I'm not the CEO of the company. I don't own the company. I'm you know a manager in the company. I'm a worker in the company. How do I affect – getting the Deming philosophy adopted or looked at in my organization. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on that, Bill? And then I'll give mine.
1: Well, the, the advice I give to the people I've been mentoring is to, without broadcasting that they're helping implement the Deming philosophy, just ask them to, to be more mindful of of how their work affects others and how others' work affects them. And it's you know the most likely starting point is for them to become more mindful of how the report, the part, the module, whatever it is, serves whoever's downstream of them. And so instead of just delivering it, um, you know, watch watch how it's used, and then use that insight to rethink how they might deliver it in the future. Whether that's a lecture, whether that's an explanation, and how that might be improved upon. And and so and so one basic thing is that we can all do is just become more mindful of how what we say, write, speak, share, deliver is received, rather than you know checking the box that you know that has left our hands and we've completed the task, and then and then from there, yeah, you know, which which goes back to the conversation about you know focusing on the quality of how we interact with others, and I think that's something we can do without any. And just watch how that works. And and I think if we focused if we just focused on that alone, and, and then we can get into the PDSA cycles in terms of you know, thinking about how might we improve that and the process flow diagram. But I think if we just became more mindful of how others receive what we give them. And and, and, and so that's what I would say, and I uh, you know, hope that in, in terms of that message, you know, hope that serves. Yeah, you know, those looking for a, a, a starting point.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, know, you? Yeah. Mine is, uh, it's some of the things I've picked up over the years. I always have kind of bought into this concept of critical mass. How do you get within the organization enough momentum, enough people looking at the philosophy to actually affect change, because it's very difficult, obviously, for one person, depending on the size of your organization. You know, you got one person in your organization, not very difficult at all. But if you got a thousand people, then it becomes more difficult. And this idea of critical mass will fall on with the uh, conversations that I had with David Langford uh, a few years ago about. One of the things that Dr. Deming told him, which is this concept of critical mass was familiar to Dr. Deming too, but he said it was basically the square root of the organization. So, you know, if you could get in a 400 person organization, 20 people to, you know, start to gain the momentum on the philosophy that really kind of understood it and, and wanted to do something with it, that you could really affect change within an organization. And in my Consulting practice, I do the same thing. I, I try to get to that critical mass where you get enough people that understand with some depth or the ability to experiment using PDSA to start to get some momentum in the organization and, and change things. And I, I, I don't believe that one of those twenty people necessarily has to be a CEO or even an executive. You can get twenty people in a four hundred person organization, you know, outlining, you know, a uh, plan or a, you know, a method of attacking the organization and saying, how do, how would he go about this? Now, for me, I go about it by producing prototypes. Um, and that's what I would suggest if you, if you're able to get a critical mass of people in your organization, uh, is to develop, you know, a prototype, um, that's different because most organizations have no idea what it would look like in their company if, they got rid of you know incentives and performance appraisals they They don't have a view of it it's It's something to reject as opposed to something to to try and and there are ways that you can go about you know operating a small portion of the company and again in a plan do study act type of format on a very small scale start to get these ideas and work out some of the kinks within the organization about operating in a in a different way. So, I mean, for me, that that is a method anyway that that you could go about if you can begin to uh, get people that, you know, 400 person organization, 20 people in the organization open, you know, dissatisfied maybe with the company in some way, um, saying that we could do better and go about that through use of a prototype and being able to sell that off. Not too many executives, uh, I don't think, would push back on trying to, you know, make improvements to their system. So the concept of kind of taking it to the next level beyond the mentoring that we talked about the last time that we talked uh, on a personal level, that once you can start to, to get or... Gather other people, like minded people, and work first of all on yourselves as far as what you understand and don't understand about the Deming philosophy, and then uh, trying to move to a prototype where you can prove it out on a small scale. What if we did these things? What if we, you know, not for the whole company, I get it, because it's scary out there, you know, with things that are culturally. Against what you're doing, but at the same time, you want your company to grow, and you can only grow by trying different things that actually other people have tried and had had better success than the current the current way. Those are some I guess some of the suggestions that that I would make to somebody out there trying to affect change within your organization. Go go to loan to get your own you know knowledge up but gather others that that want that are yeah. just content with the well, with the existing well, system.
1: Yeah, one is to give yourself confidence that there's something here and then absolutely the the very next step then is to do exactly what you said which is to find peers that you can explain this to work with um because there'll be a limit as to what you can do as an individual. So the next step becomes, what is your capacity to explain what you've just done with others? And can you, in so doing, expand that that sphere? And there's always going to be people that aren't interested, aren't, don't have the time, don't have the energy, don't have the ambition. And, and I think part of you know, the advice here is not to take any of that personally, because they may not be at a place where they're ready yet. So then just find people who are ready wherever they are in the organization and um, and then like you said grow that network and because it's it becomes lonely being the sole person to have to explain this and and I think you, you know what I, advice that I've given people is the benefit of having others is that you have others who can help explain what it is that you'd like to do or you can help them explain what they like to do that may be hard to explain yourself so just the just getting help with the explanations.
0: The best that I know at this point, that's what I've learned over the years, that, you know, it's definitely not a solo uh, mission, especially in a large organization. It's just too difficult. Um, I know because I've tried. <laughs> it's, uh <yeah. laughs> Oh, no. We it got uh, the worst uh, scars, no, you, scars, you know? No,
1: you, you, and, and I've, but I've also had the results of situations where I know the only reason I survived is because someone spoke up at an opportune moment. And if they hadn't, then um where the meeting was going was ugly. But because they spoke up and I thought, Holy cow. That's, <laughs> I I need to you know have those people there by plan as opposed to but in the very beginning it was it was um it wasn't a plan that they would be there, but they were there to save me and and then there were situations where I likely saved others. But oh no, you it can also get back to your earlier conversation because, Trip, you could say in a meeting, Hey, I want to go work on this. And then someone says, Trip, is it practical to work on that? And the meeting goes another direction.
0: Right. And, yeah. you,
1: and your proposals did. Now, I, think I can say, Trip, um, did you get your answer? Cause, or or I, could, I could say, Trip, Trip, is that, did, did you get, your, I'm not sure you get your point across. But it's hard for you to say, I don't think I got my point across. Mm. So when it, when it comes, when it goes back to that point about being pragmatic and practical, I could I can help you, you can help me. And, and, and because we both experienced that, then boy, that's, that stitch in time is invaluable. And so yeah, so one is you want to you know, gain some confidence yourself. And then two, think about who could help you and who could you help you know, then it becomes one person. The next thing you know, you're starting to focus on, how many more can get involved. And, but don't expect it to be everyone.
0: No, yeah. The, and, and for the uh, reasons that you
1: said. Yeah, not everybody's ready. Not everybody's ready now. and Not everybody will ever be ready. But I think the, the challenge is not to take it personally and find – there are – and then you find what's exciting is there are people. You do have peers within your organization and then there are also peers at other organizations. And so through the Deming community, you can find your peers either by participating in our new economic study sessions or participating in our uh, attending our conferences and whatnot. You can you can you know our, our listeners can find peers. It could be on LinkedIn, but the peers, the Deming peers are out there.
0: Absolutely. If they're not
1: within your organization, you can find them. So, so that's the only thing I would say is, don't don't be constrained by. It. I mean, you do want to have people within your organization, but maybe it f- might be easier to find some in the in the beginning outside your organization to help you, uh, you know, get your thoughts together.
0: Absolutely. All right. Very good. That concludes this stemming lens. The next. Time will again cover off anything new that's happening, not only at the Institute, with the additions to the blog, videos, whatever that's happening within the Institute. But we'll also start to get into the 14 points as part of our discussion uh, on what they are and, and, and where they go. And that may take two or three Deming Lens to cover off all 14. There's uh, quite a bit to cover there.